Hello and welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. We have come to a very exciting part of scripture for me. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed studying this and I hope that some of that excitement will be conveyed unto you through God the Holy Spirit making it um, a part of your life and very real to you. For those of you who are saved, um, this is really a wonderful uh, part of the word. Uh, we are in Hebrews. We took a little break last time to go back and study it about Melchizedek. Because here in Hebrews chapter 6 and 7, we're, we were introduced to Melchizedek. And now here in chapter 7, we're going to go into some detail about who Melchizedek was, who he is, and his relationship to the Lord Jesus. And we needed to have some context for that. So I went back and we studied in the Psalms and also in Genesis about uh, the, the two records of Melchizedek and who he was in relation to Abraham and the Hebrew people and who he is in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to dive in here, and I hope that the study that we did um, last time will help give you context into what's being said here. I don't think you necessarily had to know those things, but I think they add value to the understanding when you understand from the perspective of the Hebrew believers, uh, the way that they understood scripture. So we're placing ourselves kind of in that role of uh, being a Hebrew believer. There's a lot of things about being a Hebrew believer and being a uh, non-Hebrew believer that uh, are very similar. But there are things unique to that culture that uh, the writer leans into. So I wanted to make sure that we have an understanding of that as best as possible. So without further ado, let's get into the study. Um, Hebrews chapter 7, starting with verse 1. Now this whole section has been about how Christ is better. And basically what the writer of the, to the letter of the, to the Hebrews is doing is he's putting forth a very compelling argument based on facts, to show how that Jesus has made things better. That the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, has been superseded by this New Covenant, and it's better. So you can understand why the Hebrew people might want to hold on to all their customs and traditions and their history and all the things that made them unique, uh, that God used to make them unique. Now this writer is trying to show them that those things are still precious, but now we have better things. And so he has gone through and he's pointed out certain individuals uh, associated with the uh, Hebrew culture, uh, their past fathers, uh, you might say, and he's showing how that Jesus is better and what we have is better right in comparison to the promises that they held to before and how that those promises were a picture of what is fulfilled now in the lord jesus christ that they were great promises and they were 
you know, definitely promises that uh, you can hold to. But now we even have better promises in the Lord Jesus. So with that said, let's start reading in verse in chapter seven, verse one for this Mechizeldeck. All right. So we're talking about Mechizeldeck. This Mechizeldeck, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now, without any context, that's kind of like, what? What is he talking about? So here the writer is starting from the known. Everybody knew who Mechizeldek was. The Hebrew people knew who Mechizeldek was. So he doesn't have to go into a lot of detail. He just references him. He says, hey, Mechizeldek, you know, everybody knows him. That's an unusual name. It's not like they're going to be confusing him with somebody else. Mechizeldek, king of Salem, okay, the priest of the Most High God. That's who he was known as. And uh, people knew him as Mechizeldek. Uh, Abraham and the people during Abraham's time knew who Mechizeldek was. And he was known as the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God. So notice how the role of priest and king are together, right? In the Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood that came with Moses in the law, the king and the priests were separated. And if any king was to violate that separation, it meant immediate death, okay? And that happened. There was a king that violated that uh, barrier that was there, that was placed there by the law, and he subsequently died. So there's no such thing as a priest and king in the Aaronic priesthood. They're very separate roles. But here we see Mechizeldek has both of those roles. He's a king. And he's the priest of the Most High God. So this is unusual. Just that in and of itself is very unusual and should cause our eyebrows to go, hmm. So it says he's returning from the slaughter of the kings. That's the war that happened. And um, when he came back from saving Lot, Lot got caught up in um, that uh, some kings that were battling each other, trying to take each other's land. And unfortunately, Lot um, was in uh, Sodom, and the king of Sodom was one of those kings uh, caught up in that turmoil, and Lot was captured. So uh, we know the story. Abraham went, and he got a 300 or so men. Uh, they were trained to fight in his camp, and he went, and they slaughtered the kings and uh, got Lot back and everybody else who was captured. So returning from the slaughter of the kings, um, it says, and blessed him. So um, Mechizedek met Abraham as he returned from the slaughter of the, king, slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham also gave a tenth part of all. Now, why is that significant? Well, we know in the Aaronic priesthood that a tenth played a significant role in all that um, was done in that culture. The, there was always a tenth of this and a tenth of that uh, given 
at certain times. Um, and even today, there's people that talk about a tithe in church. You know, they use that as a, a benchmark for giving, which is very unbiblical. You should give according to the Lord. Uh, puts on your heart to give, how he's prospered you. Yeah, sometimes it's going to be more than a tenth because uh, people have more than a tenth to give. Uh, and I say that um, I'm not the pastor of a church, so I'm not saying that so that I can get money. I'm saying that because that's what the Word of God teaches. So, uh, but back in the, under the law, because of the, um, the sin that was in the people's heart, God had to set an amount. And he said a tenth because... If he wouldn't have said a tenth, they wouldn't have given the tenth. They would have given less than that. So that's a very significant number in Scripture and is very much associated with the priesthood. But here we see Abraham is giving a tenth to this king of Salem, this Mechizedek. Well, this is way before the law was given. There was no, Moses wasn't born yet. There was no law given. There was no people uh nation of Israel. It was just Abraham. But here we see that the principle of righteousness, the principles that are set forth in the law are not new principles. They're just uh, reiterated and set up in a way so that they could be disseminated to the people uh, through the priesthood to hit home and to establish the fact of what God considers to be right. Now, a perfect example of that is we didn't get uh, a sacrificial system until Moses, right? That's when we found out about, you know, you give a lamb for this and turtle doves for that and this clean animal and that's not a clean animal. And all these prerequisites were set um, through Moses and uh, they were executed by the Aaronic um, priesthood, you know, the descendants of Aaron, uh, the Levites. So that was all, that's where all that came from. But before that, the very first sacrifice was done in Genesis. Whenever uh, Adam and Eve sinned uh, and they realized that they were naked, they went and sowed fig leaves for themselves and put it around them. But uh, that was not um, sufficient. Now, it didn't mean it didn't cover them. It probably did cover them. But it did not take care of the sin issue. Because you can't take care of sin with leaves. Can't do it. Sin must be taken care of by the shedding of blood. That is the law of God. It has been from the very beginning. And that law will never change. Okay? So... God put on them animal skins, and you can't get the skin off an animal without shedding blood. So that's when the sin was dealt with. Those animal skins that were placed upon them, those animals uh, had to shed blood because the judgment of God, the righteousness of God demanded that blood be shed for sin. And so then we see... Um, um, so that principle was established, even with um, Cain and Abel. Cain brought, you know, fruit from the garden as his offering to God, and Abel brought 
from the um, flock. Well, the reason why Abel's sacrifice was accepted is because there was shedding of blood. And Cain probably brought some very good fruits and vegetables that he worked really hard to grow. But that was not what was acceptable to God. God had already established that blood had to be shed for forgiveness of sins. But Cain wanted to just bring what he wanted to bring. And God will never, never accept that. So my point being is that the precedent for these things had already been established. And there was a testimony for God in these past times that we don't know anything about because it's not recorded. But the testimony of God was clear. You can study one of the oldest books in the Bible is Job. And if you study the book of Job, you can see that there was a very good understanding of who God is and his presence in the daily lives of individuals were uh, is, is clearly seen in how that they speak about him, who he is, his attributes, his characteristics, and the responsibility of man to worship him. So here we see this Melchizedek, king of Salem, and Abraham uh, gave him a tenth. Uh, now, the first thing that the writer wants you to see in verse 2 is the interpretation of Melchizedek's name. Now, names have a great significance in the Bible. Uh, there's very few people that you will study in the Bible that their name does not have uh, significance to um, who they are in their life. And I think it's the same thing is true today with our names, that um, if you go and study the meaning of your name, um, that's not by coincidence. You know, God has a purpose in everything that he does. The particular in this man, Melchizedek, because it says by interpretation, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Okay, so that was this man's name. He was the king of righteousness, Melchizedek. And also it says he's the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. So here we see that this man was a type of Christ and that he was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Now, again, that's not a coincidence. That was done very purposefully by God. And, and that's what the writer of the Hebrews is trying to make us to see is that that was no accident that this man was presented in the way that he's been presented in Scripture for a reason. And now we're getting uh, being enlightened by the writer as to what that purpose was. In verse 3, it says, He was without father and without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So here we see the type that, uh, and there's a lot of types in Scripture. I mean, I love studying types. Types are very uh, a blessing for me to study and to see. I just love to see how God has manifested himself in so many different ways. There's a book uh, by C.H. Spurgeon I have called Types and Emblems. And uh, it's, it's a good study to, to study types and emblems. And, uh, but, but no unsaved person is going to be saved by studying types. Um, to me, 
types and emblems are the the frosting on the cake of the word of God. Okay, so the word of God is good in and of itself. It's cake, it's yummy, it's great. But types and emblems are God's way of adding frosting to that. It's just like, wow, that's a little something extra to bless your soul. But here we see um, McKizeldeck was one of those types. And you can see um, Christ uh, and his work being uh, typified in David. Uh, most notably to me is Joseph. Joseph is one of the strongest types of Christ that I've seen in scripture. I mean, there's so much in his life that parallels the life of the Lord Jesus, so much so that you don't even, it doesn't even have to present him as a type. It's just so obvious that he is that, or he was that. So here we see McKizeldeck as being one of those types of Christ and that he was the king of righteousness and he was the king of peace. And it says, without father, without mother. Now, Certainly, McKizeldeck probably had a father and a mother, but the way he's presented in scripture, he appears on the scene to Abraham without any lineage. We don't have any record of this guy's father or his mother. We don't, we don't understand, we don't see in the scripture where he began his days or where he ended his life. And there, that was done very purposely by God to present him as a forerunner of the priesthood that would be uh, personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it says he has no mother, no father without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the son of God. He abideth a priest continually. So there's no end to his priesthood because there was no end to him, right? There's no beginning to his priesthood because there's no beginning to him. And there we have, a picture of the Lord Jesus and the fulfillment of that type. Jesus is the fulfillment of that type. In verse four, uh, the writer says, now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of all the spoils. So remember in that story uh, when he met uh, Melchizedek, he uh, gave a tenth of all the things that was owed to him. Whenever you were in a battle back then, that's how you paid your men, right? The men that went to, with you to battle, I mean, you didn't give them money for fighting, but they got to take uh, food or whatever they needed from the spoils of war. That's the way it worked. And so uh, of the things that were due to Abraham, he took. Um, and if you remember, the king of Sodom tried to make a deal with him. He said, hey, man, why don't you give me all the people and I'll let you have all the stuff. Now, first of all, I think the king of Sodom wanted the people because he's a pervert. And uh, if you study about Lot, when the two angels came to tell Lot and his family that Sodom was going to be destroyed, if you remember uh, when the people saw that there were two some new men in town, they're beating on the door. Hey, give us these men. So I really think the king of Sodom uh, wanted the people because he was a pervert. But um, uh, and he wanted to make a deal, cut a deal with um, Abraham. And in that sense, I think the king of Sodom is definitely a type of Satan, and that he wanted to make a deal with Abraham to say, Hey, you give me this. 
and I'll give you all that. And if you remember, Abraham refused him. He says, I won't let you, I won't take anything that you have to offer me, okay? Because I will not ever have anybody say or have you be, you be able to say that you made Abraham rich because only God can do that for me, right? And he took a stand against the king of Sodom. And so immediately after that, this Melchizedek shows up and he does just the opposite with Melchizedek. He gives him a tenth of the spoils. So it's because he was the, uh, he was the righteous, uh, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, you know, of the most high God. He represented the most high God. So he was able, he was worthy to receive a tenth from Abraham. So, um, that's what, and that's what the writer's saying. Now, consider that. Now, the patriarch Abraham, and when you say patriarch, that means, you know, Abraham was great. If you think about it, there's probably not one person more well-known or more great from that time period than um, Abraham. I mean, certainly Adam, you know, he's the first man. But Abraham fathered not only the Jews, but also the Arabs. So both of those uh, nations of people consider him to be their father, and they're correct. You know, he was a, you know, God said from you, I'm going to make, um, if you can number the sands on the seashore, then you can number your descendants. So uh, we're living in time where we see that. So he was really a great man. He was uh, great in every way that you can attribute greatness to a human being. And he was a patriarch, but he gave a tenth to this Melchizedek. So um, in verse five, it says, and verily or truly, they that are the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of people according to the law. So we know that later on, um, that's what the Levites did. They would take a tenth of the people according to the law of God. So here we see a contrast being made to what was happening with Abraham and Melchizedek. And then in the future, what happened with the establishment of the law, the righteous uh, commandment of giving a tenth. And it says that, um, uh, and verily they that are the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is of their brethren. Okay, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. So now an interesting fact is being presented that um, the Levites who would come much later after Abraham, they perform this uh, righteous act of receiving tithes on behalf of God from the people. Right. Okay. So, and he's saying here, he's making the point that they came from Abraham. Okay? So, Abraham did this prior to it being established, before the people were established, and before it was established as a righteous thing uh, corporately. Abraham did this, which was right. He knew to give a tent. Okay? And he gave it to this guy, Melchizedek who was a priest forever. In verse six, 
But he whose descent is not counted from them, okay, received tithes of Abraham. So Melchizedek's not descended from um, the Jews. He's not descended from the Levites. But Abraham, who is greater than the Levites, he gave a tithe to this man. Okay? It says, but he whose descent is not counted from them, meaning the Levites, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Whoa, now we're getting deep. So God gave the promises to Abraham. The promises are the land, the seed, and the blessing. Okay? I'll give you a land. I'll give you a seed. A descendant uh, will come from you that will deliver your people and deliver the world from sin and also uh, the blessing, meaning that I will bless you. Uh, if you do this, 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 I will bless you, right? That was the law of blessings. Uh, but there's an unconditional blessing that says that I will make a nation from you. And eventually there's one that's going to come from your nation who will rule over you for a thousand years on earth and you're going to receive every promise that's associated with living in that land in abundance and you're going to live in that land in peace you're going to have every inch of the land that was promised to you not just the portion that they got up to um solomon so I think that was the most they ever had. But still then, they didn't have all the land that, that was theirs. They never took the whole land that was theirs. They never claimed it. But at this point, when we get to that 1,000-year reign, they're going to have every bit of the land. And they're going to receive all the blessings associated with having the Lord Jesus rule over them in righteousness. So these are the promises that were given to Abraham. Yet he had these promises but he still recognizes other individual, Melchizedek, as being uh, above the relationship that he had with God. That he could go to this Melchizedek and have an access to God that he didn't have on his own. And so he gave him a tenth of uh, his spoils. Verse 7, And without all contradiction, the less is blessed by the better. So this is basically saying that nobody can argue with the fact that the less, those who are in a lower position, right? Um, they're blessed by those in a higher position. So if Melchizedek blessed Abraham, that means that Melchizedek was in a higher position in relationship to the Most High God than Abraham was. That's what that clearly establishes. So now we see Melchizedek being better than Abraham. Melchizedek being better than Moses. Melchizedek being better than the Levites. The priesthood of Melchizedek is on a different level than the priesthood that came from Aaron and the Levites. Okay, that's what's being established here. Verse 8. And here... Men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. So now we see uh, this could be this is kind of tricky. What he's saying here is is it's easy to misinterpret this. He's saying, but here 
men that died received tithes, meaning the Aaronic priesthood, they died. They received tithes and they worshiped and they were mediators of the old covenant between the people and between God and the worship in the tabernacle and the temple. But, and they received tithes from the people, but they died. Here, this, this man, Mechizedek, he received from Abraham. And there's no record of his death, right? It says that he has no, uh, neither uh, an end or beginning of days. So here we see it established that his priesthood is better. His priesthood is higher than that of the Aaronic priesthood. And think about it. The Aaronic priesthood, if anybody violated any of the statutes of the holy place or the most holy place, the consequence was death. But we see this man, Mechizedek, is at a, on a higher level. His priesthood is on a higher level than the Aaronic priesthood. That's what's being established here. In verse 9, And as I may say so, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, pay tithes in Abraham. So now we're seeing the completion of this loop. So since Levi came from Abraham, Moses was a descendant of Abraham, and then Levi descendant uh, of also of Abraham. Um, the that means that when Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. Levi also was giving tithes, right? Because they're descendants of Abraham. So that means that this Melchizedek's priesthood is on a different level. It's on a higher level than that of the Levitical priesthood. In verse 10, For he was yet in the loins of his father, speaking of uh, Levi, when Melchizedek met him. So, here we see it established clearly that Melchizedek was not just some random guy mentioned during a war in Genesis. Melchizedek, turns out, has a far greater significance than you would be able to determine just by the record that we're giving, that we were given originally. And here we see a principle that I hope that is not lost um, in this lesson that the God, the Holy Spirit elaborates on the word of God and only God, the Holy Spirit can do that. So here we see God, the Holy Spirit taking something that we thought was just a small thing and showing us that it is a great, huge thing. And I think I mentioned this the last lesson is that you may feel like that your contribution is small. You may feel like that you're not doing anything great for God. But I promise you, if you're doing anything in the name of the Lord Jesus, he will take that and make it to be far greater than you can imagine. So I don't think we should be focused on what we're doing uh, as far as its significance, we just need to serve the Lord Jesus with all of our hearts. We need to yield ourselves to him 
and allow him to take this uh, small loaf of bread and few fishes and feed thousands. He can do that. And we don't have to see it. We don't have to witness that. Um, there's a lot of people who accomplish great things that we're going to come to um, Hebrews chapter 11, I believe, is where there's a lot of people that uh, are mentioned in relationship to faith and the things that were accomplished in them through faith. Um, and some of those people, you're like, whoa, I never would have thought that person would have been listed in the scripture. But it's just because they trusted God. And that's what the writer is trying to establish here. That we need to center our faith. We need to center our belief on the Lord Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. We need to understand that uh, just because these situations and circumstances are new to us, they're not new to him. Right? He is very aware from his throne what is going on with us and what we need. And he's made every preparation for our success in spite of us, right? And so we need to see in McKizeldeck how that God has a plan and a purpose for everyone. And regardless of what you look like today or who you might be today, by the time you reach full maturity, full maturation, and that's what this letter to the Hebrews is about, maturing. Moving on to maturity. Consider him. You know, keep your eyes on him and mature. Um, once you once he brings you to that point, you will be far more than you've ever imagined that you could be. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. So rather than uh, press through and uh, rush through the second part of this, I'm going to go ahead and stop here because... To me, it's a good stopping point. Uh, as we've been introduced to McKizeldeck, his relationship to the Aaronic priesthood and how that he and his priesthood is far better and greater than the Aaronic priesthood. And we're going to see in the subsequent uh, verses why that is. The writer is going to continue to establish the um, superiority of this new priesthood. The priesthood that all believers are placed in automatically upon being saved. So we are believer priests, not like Aaron, you know, not in that line, but in the line of McKizeldeck uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's some wonderful things that have been afforded to us by this priesthood, by the high priest that is the Lord Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our calling. Um, and we're going to go into some of those details next time. But for now, uh, let's just consider um, this McKizeldeck and how that uh, the Lord has used him as not only a type, but also as a witness and a testimony to us today that uh, our little small unrecorded life is very significant to God. And he's going to use us in ways that we can't imagine. All we have to do is one thing, and that's believe him. That's all we have to do. There's nothing else that needs to be done. 
other than to believe him. Because if you believe him, you're going to believe his word. And everything that you need to do to be successful is going to come from that belief, from that trust, from that faith. And before you know it, we're all going to be looking back and we're going to see evidence of the Lord Jesus throughout our lives. Um, and that's our hope, right? Our hope is what he's going to accomplish in us. And there's rewards. He has rewards for us as a result of the things that he accomplishes in us. It's really pretty wonderful that it's all of Christ, that we have nothing to boast of in and of ourselves. We can boast in the work that he's accomplished in us. And that's what we should be doing. So with that said, I'm going to leave off here at verse 10 in chapter 7. And we'll pick up next time uh, at verse 11. So let's close. Father, thank you for the ministry of your word. Thank you for McKizeldeck. Thank you for what you revealed to us about who he is and who he was and how that the Lord Jesus um, is a priest forever, according to me the order of McKinsey and what that means for us as individuals uh, being placed in Christ and how that we have been afforded great blessing heavenly blessing not not earthly blessings only but heavenly blessings eternal an eternal weight of glory that awaits us uh, in heaven secured by you May we rejoice in that. May it encourage our hearts to serve you, to uh, keep our eyes on you, and to uh, be better uh, servants. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.